what does God want from us? He never asked for animal sacrifice, and He never will. However, God has told us plainly what He does require in the way of what we should sacrifice. What does God want from us? What's His desire? The scripture reading from this morning from the prophet Isaiah had a number of interesting concepts presented in those verses. I mean, I wanted to start out with the, uh, the last section there, which is a common uh, text. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Well, I'm not going to go there today. <clears throat> Isaiah is the first of the major prophets. Now, I say major because... The prophetic books are divided into major and minor, and it has nothing to do with the quality of their prophecy. It has to do with the length. Isaiah is the, uh, has the longest um, or the most amount of words. He has 66 chapters, and the rest of them go down from there. We're familiar with much of Isaiah's prophecies because he made numerous projections, predictions concerning the Messiah, whom we know as Jesus. However, in this section that we had this morning, there is no prophecy about Jesus. But there are some interesting things that we should take note of for our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. The first note of significance that I found is that Isaiah speaks to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, he says there in verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always been under the impression that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Long time ago, long time before Isaiah. Those two cities were never rebuilt. Now, some scholars believe that those two cities are buried beneath the Dead Sea. However, they've not been able to find any evidence of such. Now... This is one of those places where taking the Bible strictly in its literal rendering is going to cause a grave mistake. Because Sodom and Gomorrah were not in existence at the time. So he could not possibly be prophesying to people who were no longer alive. So what is Isaiah saying here? Well, actually, we've probably all done this at one time or another. Using a derogatory slur when referring to someone with whom we were unhappy. That's what Isaiah did here by calling Israel Sodom. They had become a disgusting people, and he likened them to the cities that had been destroyed because of their repulsive behavior. So the main thing to notice, though, in this entire passage is what he says about sacrifice, which makes up the heart of the passage from verses 11 through 14, which we'll read. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? 
Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Notice that word vain. That's what we looked at last time. Emptiness. He goes on. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. That's a pretty powerful section there of rebuke. Now on the surface it appears that God does not want these sacrifices. Yet we need to read the context in order to get the full meaning. God is not pleased with sacrifices offered by those who do not really have an ongoing relationship with him. We see that plainly stated in verse 13. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. One or the other, he says. Quit playing the hypocrite. Either live properly or don't bother trying to fulfill your religion, your religious duties. Didn't Jesus say much the same thing as he ended the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They had done many supposedly religious things, but Jesus called those things sin. He said the casting out of devils, the prophecies, those things were sinful because they were not done through a relationship in him. What we can learn at this point is that without an ongoing living relationship with the Lord, any and all of our religious activity is worthless. Going to church, reading the Bible, giving to the poor, even our prayers in no way help secure a place in heaven if we do not know the Lord. However, there's something more about sacrifices that Isaiah didn't mention in this passage or anywhere else in this prophecy. Sacrifices of the burnt flesh of bulls and goats was not what the Lord required. Those were things that Moses set out as a part of worship for the Jews when they left Egypt. But they were only symbolic of what God really wanted. I'm going to give you a shocking verse of scripture in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 22. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's probably shocking for most of us. Didn't we read in Exodus and Leviticus about all the things the Jews were supposed to do in their worship of God? Yes, we did. However, there is a point that we have been oblivious to over the years that we haven't seen. Maybe you can see it with me today. 
If on the Sabbath, Jesus is speaking here in John chapter 7, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Jesus called it the law of Moses, not God's law. Now the phrase, the law of Moses, in its exact form like that, is used 22 times in the Bible, the law of Moses. Eight of those are in the New Testament used by Luke, Jesus, Paul, and the writer of Hebrews. It was the law of Moses, not the law of God. And this is important to understand in our consideration of what the Lord desires in the way of sacrifice. In fact, Jesus said that it was important for us to understand this. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said this to the Pharisees after they had criticized Jesus to his disciples for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so they were yammering on the side. We know that the Pharisees prided themselves on their absolute strict obedience to the letter of the law. Jesus destroys this concept with one simple statement by saying they did not understand what the law of Moses meant. Now long before Jesus came, there was already an understanding developing among God's people as to what God thought was true sacrifice. We find David saying in Psalm 40, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. King James says you've digged my ear. Okay, Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Now, come on. David was one who went and offered sacrifice. If you remember when he tried to bring the... Uh, the tabernacle of wilderness, the, 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 the tent of meeting back to Jerusalem. He was offering sacrifice, offering sacrifice. But then he begins to gain an understanding. He had gained an understanding of what all the physical stuff of their religion was about. It was symbolic. It was to teach them something. And he realized that God was after much more than burnt animal flesh. Again, in Psalm 51, he says, for you will, and this is after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And we know that if you were caught in a sin, you're supposed to go get some animal and get rid of it. But he says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And then we find Hosea saying, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I don't know how it could be made any plainer to us. It's obvious in the comparison that the, the, the surface level is this idea of hypocrisy. It's not just religious behavior. It doesn't do us any good. These passages say it rather clearly that God was not and is not interested in any kind of animal sacrifice. Not now, not then, not ever. Now there's plenty more verses which say this same thing. I'm just going to show you two from the New Testament. 
In Hebrews, we read, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And this is written in connection to Jesus coming to earth. Okay? Then in Mark, when the uh, rich young ruler asked Jesus about what was important, Jesus turned it around and says, what do you think? And he answered, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now all these verses that I've gone through tell us what God does not want except for the one place in the Psalms where it says uh, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These verses do not give us much of a clue as to what we are to do instead. However, we're not left to our own devices in this matter because there are places where we are told the kind of sacrifice that God wants. In Hebrews, we read, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, he describes or defines what is a sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. It's all. It's that simple. Okay? And we acknowledge his name in the songs that we sing and the, uh, the, the, the prayers that we recite. And the verses of scripture that we read, we are acknowledging the name of the Lord. And here it says that praise is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Now I want to say a word about sacrifice. Many people will say something to the effect that if it doesn't hurt, it's not a sacrifice. Now, that is purely Western thinking coming from an incorrect understanding of what is taught. But when they say that, they're trying to dig deeper into your pocket. Almost every time you'll hear this idea of sacrifice that hurts when they're begging for money. They will tell you to give until it hurts. Are you laughing because you've heard it before? That's not a sacrifice that God desires. And we can see that plainly in this verse. A sacrifice is simply something you offer to God. Do you remember the widow who only put two small coins in? It was a sacrifice. It was an offering to God. And Jesus said, she gave more than all of you put together. It's simply something you offer to God. That's all. And the writer of Hebrews tells us here that the fruit of our lips giving praise to God is a sacrifice, an offering with which God is pleased. Now there's two other places in the New Testament where we're told what kind of sacrifice pleases God. Each of them are different, but neither involve killing an animal or digging deep into your bank account. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, which I've told you before, this passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, is my life verse. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now notice, it's to be a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. Okay? You present yourself to the Lord. Again, in Hebrews, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Doing good's a sacrifice? Helping others is a sacrifice? All of us at one time or another have been called upon in our life to go help somebody. I mean, if you've got kids, you've had to help them move 20 times. Okay? Help them move, help them fix something. We help. It's what we do. And we share what we have. Now finally, there is a famous verse... I think all of you know, from which, from one of the prophets, which sums it all up with a directive that I think anybody can understand. It's in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God? That's it. This is all the Lord requires of us. Anything else is man-made dogma amounting to less than a hill of beans. We don't have to pay attention to that stuff because the two great commandments do not concern themselves with sacrifice, with offering, with money, with animals, nothing. They are the only things that we still need to understand and that is to love God and love your neighbor. When we have these two commands perfected in our life, there's nothing more that can be done. So I would encourage you this week, if you have not yet arrived at the place of perfection in your love towards others, make that a goal this week. Lord, give me an opportunity to step out of my comfort zone and show love to somebody. Somebody I know, somebody I don't like, or somebody I don't know. Give me an opportunity to express love. Make that your practice this week. That's the sacrifice of God, is to love others.